continuing in Paul's letter to Philemon, verses 8 to 16. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. This is the word of God. Well, this morning we continue in this three-part series uh, from this tiny letter written by Paul to Philemon, uh, to Philemon regarding Onesimus. And as you recall last week, if you were here last week, what we discovered, uh, or the, the characters we met, uh, their names are, uh, are Paul. Paul, that former uh, Jew who was converted uh, on the road to Damascus, in that rather remarkable conversion, we meet Onesimus, who is a runaway slave, a thief. Onesimus ran uh, and ended up in prison, and that's where presumably he and Paul met. And then there is Philemon. Philemon is a wealthy Asian who lives back, uh, uh, commentators believe, in Colossae. So Philemon lives in Colossae, we've got Onesimus, the slave, Philemon, a wealthy Asian, Paul, an educated, um, uh, from, from the highest levels of Judaism that you could come from, and all of them find themselves on even ground. And we discovered last week that it is the gospel that brings them there. It is the gospel that brings together a wealthy Asian, a runaway slave, and a Jew converted to Christianity. They find themselves in the same place. And it is this morning that we discover something that will be either new for some of you, or uh, for most of you, it isn't new. It is this but now experience in life. It is this experience where God comes in and begins to do a transformation, uh, often instantaneously. Uh, sometimes it's a process, uh, but it's, it's what we call salvation. It's, it's the beginning of life change. And if you are here this morning and you think back through your life and you, as you think through your life, are reminded of, uh, of sins committed, of uh, if you could push the rewind button and go to a place and then push a race, you know exactly where that is. 
And if that is you this morning and you sit here this morning so playing through that again and again and again and you've already trusted Christ as your Savior, this message is for you. What does the but now experience mean for you today, even though in your mind and in your heart, you're pushed, you've pushed the rewind button, maybe from this very week, from something you did, or it could be ancient history. And then there are those of you today who have yet to encounter Christ like Paul and Onesimus and Philemon did. You live on your own. You live by your laws. You live by your rules. You live according to your conscience, according to an inner sense of morality. Uh, You call your shots in a sense. And I would say to you this morning that God wants to meet you personally, individually, in in a life-changing way. And so Paul writes back then to Philemon about Onesimus, the runaway slave. And he says four things about him. And they all hinge around the but now. Uh, The first he says is that he was an orphan who is now a son. Notice this. Paul says, I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. I'm an apostle, and as an apostle, I I can say, uh, uh, Philemon, take Onesimus back. Take him back and be good to him. And I can require that of you, Paul is saying. So so how can he do it? Because in Christ, he was called by Christ and he says, I'm an apostle. I can do that. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. He says, though I could use my apostolic authority to say, uh, Philemon, when Onesimus, I'm sending him back to you. And when he gets to your house, receive him. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to appeal to you and leave it up to you for love's sake. And then he makes the, the appeal. Up until this point, you've got to realize that, uh, th- that Philemon has been reading the letter but doesn't know who it's about. Onesimus is never mentioned. And then finally here, Onesimus is mentioned. I appeal to you. And notice the way he's described immediately. For my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now, as a slave, Onesimus would not have uh, known or, or lived with his own earthly father. He indeed would have been orphaned by his own slavery. He would have been enslaved by his own slavery uh, away from his earthly father. And so when Paul encounters him in prison and shares the gospel of Jesus Christ that is in fact effective and efficient for a runaway slave and Onesimus responds to that gospel and receives Christ as his savior, Paul becomes his spiritual father. He he begins to nurture him as earthly fathers nurture their own children. As earthly fathers train their own children, Paul begins to train his son Onesimus in the faith. That's what he begins to do. This runaway slave, Hannah, who was in Atlanta this summer, spent a few nights out on the streets with uh, groups of people. And she said it was the second night. We had talked to her after the first night. Hannah, how many prostitutes did you see after your first night? She said somewhere between 150 and 200. 
And so these are are young women who are away from mom and dad who somehow through either their own choice or they've been abducted or they've been sold into slavery, into sexual slavery. She encountered them. And so when we talked to her that day, she's going out the next night around 10 p.m. until 4 or 5 in the morning. And we said, Hannah, what should we pray for for you tonight? And she said, pray for opportunities to have a conversation with them. Because if they're pimp or if, you know, well, we would say their, their trafficker is nearby, we can't say a word. If we do, we get the girls in some serious trouble. And so Wendy and I were praying and praying for her safety, of course. And and so once uh, she had gotten home, slept, and called us a little later that next afternoon, Hannah, how did it go? She said, you would not believe what happened to us. God so answered your prayer. How so, Hannah? She said, well, we got invited into the dressing room. All the way back into this strip club, into the dressing room. And she said, now my eyes will never be the same. She said that I'm wounded for life. She said, but here we are walking up to completely nude women, embracing them and saying in their ears, God loves you. This isn't the life he has planned for you. God loves you. You do not have to live this way. You see, when Paul encountered Onesimus, Onesimus is a number. He's not a person. Onesimus is a slave. He is somebody else's tool. He is not a human being. Paul encountered Onesimus in prison and Onesimus isn't too low for the gospel. Amen. There is no place too low that you can go. There is no place so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Corey Tim Boone said. His love goes to the depths. His love goes to the uttermost and to the guttermost. And Paul is sitting in prison. And while he's there in chains for the gospel, runaway slave Onesimus, he shares the gospel with him. Onesimus comes to faith in Christ. And Paul begins to nurture his young boy, his young son in the faith. Titus, he called his son. Timothy, he called his son. The Corinthian Christians, he called his children. The Galatian Christians, he called his children. I ask you this morning, who are your spiritual children in the faith? Who are they? Who are they? Who are you nurturing in the faith as spiritual sons and spiritual daughters? Presumably your own children. Right? That's our first line of responsibility. It is your job, mom and dad, to rear your children to know and love Jesus. No one else's. Everything grace does in that is just gravy. Everything we do, not our primary responsibility, your primary responsibility. We support you in that. We help you in that. But we certainly can't do that for you. So that's yours. But who else? Who else besides your own great little read by Truett Cathy, it's better to build boys than mend men. Here's what he says. Truett, the founder of Chick-fil-A, I was 13 years old when God worked through Theo Abbey, my Sunday school teacher, to change my life. In a real sense, I had been fatherless. My father was alive. In fact, he was home every night and I never knew him to gamble or drink or cheat on my mother. But he never told me I love you. 
and when I needed help, like the time when I was sick on a rainy Sunday morning and had to get my newspapers delivered, I knew not to even ask him. As I grew toward manhood, my father and I never discussed the difficult issues of life. Then Theo Abbey became my teacher and my friend. Occasionally, he visited the Federal Housing Project where I lived to see me and other boys in our class. And he invited us to go with him and his son Ted to his lakeside cabin. There he modeled with Ted a loving father-son relationship. As an adult, I remember Mr. Abbey's example and decided to teach boys in Sunday school. Like Mr. Abbey, I kept in touch with the boys through the week by inviting the entire class to be my guest at the Dwarf House, my first restaurant, one night a week. I soon began to see how children bursting with potential can wither on the vine without adequate guidance from adults. 11-year-old Harry Brown, whose quiet demeanor reminded me of myself as a child, had a father like mine, distant and hard to please. When Mr. Brown abandoned the family altogether, Mrs. Brown was left alone to bring up five boys. She did a remarkable job, and I tried to give Harry special attention in class or during our weekly dinners. I set goals for my class in their Bible reading, and Harry met everyone. His mother and I encouraged him at every step. Then my wife, Jeanette, and I moved from the neighborhood, and I didn't see Harry for more than 20 years. By the time we had met again, he and his wife, Brenda, had become foster parents, providing the fatherly love and two-parent stability for others that Harry had missed as a teenager. When Jeanette and I were led by God to build foster homes, Harry retired from Southern Bell so that he and Brenda could become house parents. 20 years into retirement, they are still raising Children, 12 at a time, in our wind-shaped homes. God worked an incredible transformation in Harry's life, and he blessed me with the opportunity to see Harry now blessing others. Children all around us are growing up without strong, positive guidance from their parents who are busy, distracted, absent, or choose to be buddies instead of parents to their children You see these boys and girls playing with your children or grandchildren or in your church or in your classroom or scout troop. They're a bit quieter or a bit more rambunctious or a bit different from the other children. You may know about trouble in their homes, divorce, or the death of a parent or a grandparent. And he goes on to ask, what are you going to do? How easy would it have been for Paul to say, I'm in prison, oh me. Look what has happened to me. But Paul in prison encounters Onesimus, the runaway slave, shares the gospel with him. He comes to faith in Christ. And Paul begins to train him up to know Jesus Christ. He becomes his son in the faith. Who is it for you? Who is it? He is an orphan who is now a son. If you know Christ, so are you. Useless, who is now useful. Paul says, formerly he was useless to you. All right, you ready for the greatest news flash in the whole book of Philemon? Onesimus' name means useful. That's what his name means. His very name means useful. Now, why would he be named such a name? Most likely, his dad did not give him that name, nor his mother. Most likely, he was given that name when he was bought as a slave. Why would that happen? Well, slave owners often did this, not because the person was 
you know, inherently useful, but hoping that the person would live up to the name. I'll name my slave useful. And when I name my slave useful, hopefully useful will become useful. And Paul says, I know useful was useless to you. It's a remarkable play on words, but it's the reality. Onesimus, uh, presumably, if we see later what Paul agrees to do, we'll find in next week's sermon, Onesimus had stolen from Philemon. And Paul says, I know he was useless to you. Until this, but now. You see, Jesus Christ specializes in taking useless people and making them useful. Amen? He specializes in taking people who've made a wreck of their lives, who've made mistake after mistake after mistake, and he sees that and he has, a, he, he, he has a knack. He's just able to make useless, useful, the but now moments. Paul says he is indeed, in fact, useful. He's, he's Onesimus now. You, you wanted him to be Onesimus. You named him Onesimus. But now he's really Onesimus because Christ has come in, changed his life, and made him really Onesimus. Can I say something to you this morning? All right, you won't discover this on Dr. Phil. The uh, Oprah Network doesn't carry this. Uh, Maury definitely doesn't get it. All right, so what is this? If you ever want to know your full potential, trust Christ as your Savior. He, he will take who you, who you always wanted to be and make, make you more than you ever dreamed or imagined. Uh, Paul wells up in Ephesians 3 verse 20 and says to him, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ever think or imagine, whatever you've imagined for your life is too little. Whatever you've dreamt of is too small for God's capacity. We know some of these verses, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. This is written to the Israelites when, the, when they're in the middle of gross sin and rebellion against, uh, against God. I love Hosea. Hosea chapter 2, verse 23 God is speaking and I will have mercy on, look at the all caps, no mercy. You know what that means? Those people, that, that was their name. I will have mercy on no, no mercy and I will say to not my people, that's all caps too. You are my people and he shall say back to me, you are my God. God specializes in taking people who don't deserve mercy and giving them mercy. He specializes in taking people who don't deserve to be called by his name. And he calls them by his name. Amen. That's his specialty. That's his specialty. Could I take the ragamuffins of the world? Could I take those who, who have nothing to show for themselves and they become trophies of my great grace? That's what he does. I will show mercy to those who don't deserve it. John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. This is Jesus calling out Satan. I came that they may have life and have it how, church? Abundantly, overflowing with life. God is the brilliant reconstructionist. He's the brilliant redo. All right, so my favorite old car is a Mustang. 
I just think they're the coolest old cars. Went and pulled some pictures. Look at this. Could you ever imagine that looking like that? I mean, Lamar Silver can, right? It's what he does for a living. Check that one out. I think this is a fastback, if I recall. But look at that. Isn't that incredible? And look at this next one. Look at that and look at that. Could I say something to you this morning? Please hear me. Leave the screen here for a moment. Some of you walked in here this morning and the upper picture is how you view yourself. Oh, if you could quit getting the record to play. And it's pounding you, isn't it? And you feel so guilty and so lost. And you feel like such a failure and a loser and and hopeless. But God in his incredible grace is able to look at that and see that and he's able to look at that and and, and create that he is onesimus was an orphan who is now a son he he was useless who is now useful wow and then he was a taker who is now a giver look at this Paul says, I'm sending him back to you. Paul becomes the sender. Who's he sending? Look at this. If you've ever invested in somebody, this is how you feel about them. I'm sending you my very heart. Here's my heart. I'm sending you my very heart. The word literally is bowels. That's gross, isn't it? Bowels. But it was the word used in Paul's day for the deepest seat of emotions that one could have. I'm sending you my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me, Paul says, in order that he might serve me on your behalf. You know what Paul is saying? This runaway thief, I'm sending back to you. Once he gets back to you, Philemon, oh wow, the best thing you could do is send him right back to me. I need an assistant. What? You see, we've kind of missed that. We've, we've missed that, haven't we? Yesterday morning, I'm watering and uh, this guy walks down the sidewalk as I'm watering. And he says, I speak to him and I said, how are you doing? And he said, not good. And so he proceeded down the sidewalk toward my house. What's wrong? He said, I have arthritis. And he showed me his hands. I said, sir, I'm sorry. He said, I heard all the time. I struggle to sleep at night. It's just very, very difficult. And uh, I said, uh, well, I'd love to pray for you. Pray for your hands and pray for rest. And um, uh, we talked a little bit more and I said, before I pray, could I ask you a question? And he said, yeah. And I said, do you, do you know Jesus Christ to be a personal savior to you? He said, oh, I, I pray every morning. I ask God for things and I'm a very religious man. I said, sir, that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, do you know Jesus Christ to be a personal Savior? 
and got the same answer again. I said, could I put it one more way? I said, if you were to die today, where would you go? He said, oh, I've already told God where I want to go. I thought, wow, I didn't know we could put in orders, you know. I said, where is that? He said, I can't tell you. Okay. I said, well, you know, according to scripture, you got two choices. There's heaven and there's hell. He said, no, I'm not going to either one of them. I'm going to my own place. I said, all right. uh, Where did you discover this place? And uh, he said, not sharing that with you. All right. And then he said, uh, I'm, I'm so depressed. I said, really, why? He said, my mother died 14 years ago. And I've been sad ever since. I said, well, where is your mom? I, I don't know. He said, I said, do you think she's in heaven? Do you, did she know Christ? And we talked about that a little bit. There was no moving him. He was dead set. He's ordered up his destination. When he dies, God will send him there. I want to ask you a question. What if through praying with him, he, he trusted Christ? He's been 14 years depressed. He's 62 years old. His hands are, have arthritis and he misses his mom. And, but he comes to Christ. Didn't appear to be super educated just in my conversation with him. But he comes to Christ. And what if Billy Graham says, I need an assistant. I'd like to have him. Billy Graham is... No doubt, without argument, the greatest evangelist of our day. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, was the greatest missionary of his time, of all time, and said, I'd like to have the runaway thief slave as my assistant. I'll hire him to be on my staff. He's a taker. He was a taker who is now a giver. Luke 19, Jesus has a similar encounter. He's going into Jericho, city on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Going into the Jericho. Uh, north of Jericho were, were these ten Roman cities. A lot of trekking back and forth between the provinces. So a guy decided to capitalize on that. You know his name. You know his story if you've hung out in church for any period of time. His name is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is short. He can't see Jesus. He climbs up into a tree so that he can see him. When he climbs up into a tree to see Jesus, he uh, 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 has heard about him, obviously. He's in the tree. He's looking when Jesus comes in that throng of people in a fairly decent sized city called Jericho. And he looks up in a tree and of all people, he sees Zacchaeus. And he says, Zacchaeus, come hurry, come down out of the tree for today. I must eat with you. Wow. 
Zacchaeus was just going to be a bystander. He, he simply wanted to see this Jesus guy he had heard so much about. He scurries out of the tree. The crowd begins to murmur. They begin to grumble. Who is this? He's, he's going to eat with a sinner. We thought this Jesus was this guy who, who knew better. He's going to, and all of a sudden, it's the chatter, right? Right? I mean, I mean, Jesus is too good for Zacchaeus. Surely not Zacchaeus. And so they go in, they have something to eat. And when they come out, Zacchaeus stands up as tall as a short guy can. And he stands up. And when he does, this is what he says. Half of all my possessions I give to the poor. And if I've wronged anyone, I'll repay him four times over. That's the day you hope to have been wronged by Zacchaeus. Right? Because you're about to cash in. Four times as much as he took, you're getting back. Sign me up. Right? And so here's this total life change. Do you know how Jesus responds to the murmurings of the crowd? He affirms Zacchaeus. And then he says, the son of man has come to seek and save who, church? The the who? Say it loud. Who? The lost. Wow. A taker who is now a giver. And finally, a bondservant who is now a brother. But I prefer to do nothing, Paul says. He continues to write without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion. Philemon, I'd rather you not do this because I'm making you do it. Could I pause to say something? Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul trusts... Don't miss this. The gospel's work in Onesimus. And he also trusts the gospel's work in Philemon. Right? The gospel in Onesimus turns him from a bondservant to a brother, from a taker into a giver, from an orphan into a son. But the gospel's work in the wealthy Asian Philemon turns him into a forgiver. And Paul says, I don't want to do this by compulsion. Let me step back and watch the gospel work. Look at this. But of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Oh, oh, that's rich. That's rich. You see, slaves are only slaves while you're on this earth. Brothers in Christ are brothers in Christ through eternity. (laughs) Don't miss that. Paul says this, this guy who left was your slave and that will end on planet earth. But when he's coming back to you, he's coming back to you as his brother. And when you're in heaven, he will be your brother forever. Wow. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? Paul now helps Philemon to see God's purpose. You've got to think of Joseph's story when you hear this, right? Joseph is sold by his brothers because he's an arrogant teenager. Or I love teenagers, but arrogant teenagers. Oh, right. They're exhausting. 
they're like, they know everything. And then they trip and fall on themselves and they just like bloody their faces. You pick them up and you clean the blood off. And guess what? They forgot what they just did. Yes. And then they trip and fall again and you clean them up again and then they do it again. And and just over and over and over, you know, when they finally get married, you say, God bless her. God bless him. There they go. All right. So, so, so here he is. Here he is, and he says, Joseph had this dream, and he was arrogant. He goes to his brothers. Guess what I dream? What? I'm going to dominate your life one day. That goes over, you know, really well. And so they get mad at him. He's already his daddy's favorite. They rip his coat off. They, they dip it in blood. Uh, go tell his daddy he's died. And they, they sell him to Potiphar down in Egypt. And he goes to Potiphar and, 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 and there's repentance. It's clear that there's repentance because from here on out in Joseph's story, he pleased and he, he found favor with God. He honored God. He just did it again and again. But Potiphar's wife likes him. She seduces him. He says, no, he's unfairly accused. He's thrown into prison. In prison, he stays there for a long time and, and, and he interprets dreams and he begs the guy, please, when you get out and remember me, but the guy forgets and at least two years pass. And then finally, the Pharaoh has a dream. Oh, there was some dude in prison who interpreted that for me. Let's go find him. Joseph cleans himself up, shows up in front of the uh, Pharaoh, interprets the dream. The Pharaoh looks at him and says, bam, you get the job. Prime minister of Egypt, here you go. Dream has finally come true through a lot of twists and turns and ups and downs. It has come true. And then the very brothers who did what they did to him show up. And when they show up, they don't know it's him. There's this whole back and forth. He reveals himself to be their brother and they are understandably terrified. And what does Joseph say? Do not fear. For am I in the place of God? Before the word gospel was ever mentioned, Joseph got it. What? I am no better than you. That's what that means. I'm a sinner like you. Can I stand in judgment of you? Joseph says. Am I in the place of God? Am I? No. No, no. You you see, we like to measure sins and their severity. And if we haven't committed one that severe, we feel pretty good about ourselves, right? We, uh, you know, check out the landscape and, well, I haven't done what they did. Whew, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that we're all so sinful. Jesus had to die for us and so loved he was glad to die for us. All of us. Romans 3.23, have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, uh, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive. It's called the longer view, the sovereignty of God as they are today. That's what Paul is saying to Philemon. Oh, God's got this big, big, long purpose here, Philemon. This big purpose. And so, so Philemon, what are you going to do? Philemon, what are you going to do? 
No longer as a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Do you know what he's urging Philemon to do? Not only do I want you to spiritually adopt him, don't miss this. What's flesh mean? Body. Make him your boy. Make him an heir to your wealth. What? Both in the flesh and in the Lord, take him in as your own, as, as your own son. So Philemon has a choice. He can choose to continue to view Onesimus as a slave. And if so, the relationship can only be, right, one that is uh, slave and master. He can take legal steps to change that relationship. But the choice is his. In other words, Philemon is faced with the choice to live out the gospel. Will he live out what has happened to him or to deny it? Remember John 10, 10, that verse, I came that you might have life and have it more what? Abundantly. All right, let me go down just below that and tell you how in the world that ever happened and how Philemon now is in the shadow of what Jesus said in John 10, 10. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Do you know who that was? Philemon and Onesimus, non-Jews, and you and me. All right, whether or not Philemon got it, he was adopted too. Right, he was adopted. He was outside of the fold. He wasn't in the, the, in the chosen Israel. And he says, uh, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. If you ever wonder how much you matter to God, go to John 10, put your name in there. I have other sheep of this fold. I must bring Diane also. I have other sheep of this fold. I must bring Zane also. I must bring James also. I must bring Beth also. I must bring Judy also. I must bring Stan also. I have other sheep of this fold. I must bring Brandon also. If you ever wonder how much you matter to God, go to John 10 when he, Jesus, looks out through all of history and sees you and says, I've got to bring them in. I have other sheep. I've got to bring them in. Why? I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Look at this. No one takes it from me. It's not by force. But I lay it down, what of my own accord, on my own doing, of my own will. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This is all on me, Jesus is saying. I am calling the shots here. And as one who is calling the shots, I will willingly go to the cross. I will willingly lay down my life. I will die for the Philemons and the Onesimuses and the Pauls and the Beths and the James and the Johnses of the world. I will die for them. This charge I have received from my father. Jesus did it voluntarily. The question for Philemon is, will you, will you, will you live out the gospel that has gloriously and radically saved you? Like, will you Philemon? And the question for you is, will you? Say, Jerry, what do you mean? Broken record has to hit a halt at some point. If you indeed or an orphan who is now a son or a daughter, a taker who is now a giver, a bondservant who is now 
a brother. Do you believe that? And why are you? Because Jesus said, I must get them. I must die for them. And he did. You're no longer a slave. You're a child of God. And then, if you're here this morning and you say, Never did I know that Jesus loved me so. But today I do. What do I do? Come to him. Trust him. Turn from your sin. Receive his forgiveness. Revel in his love. Bask in his mercy. Enjoy your sonship, your daughtership as a brand new child of God. A simple prayer of sorrowness for sin, a belief in Christ as your Savior. And you become a son or a daughter. Don't know of a better song that demonstrates this. So we're going to pull the lights. You're going to watch the screen. Just take it in for a few moments.